Are you expectant this morning? You're grateful this morning for what God is doing. As we were worshiping this morning, I got an image of hosts of heaven standing. I don't know how to describe this, but standing, waiting for the Lord to say now. That they would be released to us this morning. Would you open up your heart to what God is wanting to do in our midst? This week, as I was preparing for the word, I said, Lord, I don't just want to share another message on Easter. And we leave grateful, but not changed. My prayer this morning is that we would be so impacted by the message that God has for each one of us. As I prepared, I said, Lord, what is it that you want me to share? And I kept hearing the words, what is your reasonable response to the love proposal of the cross? What is your response to the love proposal at the cross? The greatest demonstration of love ever shown. For God so loved the world that he gave. While we were still sinners, he didn't wait for moral perfection or improvement. While we were still sinners, he came, he gave. And so as I considered this question that God posed to me, what is your response to this love proposal? I said, Lord, what, what is it? What is it that you're wanting from us? And I heard the Lord say, I want your heart. The best response we could give is a heart laid down. Many will say it's evangelism. The reality is until we love him, we cannot love others. And so everything flows from this place of a love relationship with Jesus. God wants our heart this morning, church. Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who has healed all my sicknesses, my diseases, and has forgiven all my iniquities. That's the work of the cross, isn't it? I want to read from the Passion Translation. It says, with my whole heart, with my whole life, and with my innermost being, I bow in wonder and love before you, the Holy God. Yahweh, you are my soul's celebration. How could I ever forget the miracles of kindness that you have done for me? You kissed my heart with forgiveness in spite of all that I've done. You've healed me inside and out from every disease. And you've rescued me from hell. See, David explains to us that when we reflect on the cross and all of its benefits, our only response can be to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, my heart, with all that I am, I bless him. So our best response to Calvary is to give our heart. 
Romans 10:9 says, if we confess with our mouth and our, we believe in our heart that Christ died and he rose again, we will be saved. It seems easy to make confessions with the mouth. It's easy. But to believe in the heart. To say, for God so loved the world. But to say, for God so loved me. To get to that place of being personal, personal revelation of what God has done for me. About three weeks, two weeks back in junior youth, Jasmine was sharing on the crucifixion. And Alwyn and Renal's granddaughter, Tara, who's only three, happened to slip into youth that night. And she was listening to the story. And she looked at Jasmine with tears in her eyes and she said, he died. He really died. And Jasmine had to quickly say, yes, but he rose again. She continued to say, but he died. He really died. And when Jasmine told me the story, I sat pondering, when last have we said, he died. He really died for me. The message of salvation is that Jesus came to bring hope to the poor. Every one of us, we've heard the Beatitudes are poor in spirit. So desperate for a savior, but he brings hope. He's come to bring healing to the brokenhearted. To open the eyes of the blind. To bring freedom to those who are bound. I want to declare today that today is the day of your salvation. The Last Supper, Luke 22. And church, sorry, I just, I want to ask permission this morning. It's not going to be a typical Easter service. I hope that's okay. And I hope you give me permission this morning to be so vulnerable with you. But at the Last Supper, Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and remember. Then he lifts up the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. The old covenant was something that was external. It was an external cleansing ceremony that would take place with no change. It only just covered the sin. And the law was written on tablets of stone. You remember? It was about works. But Jesus comes as surety for a better covenant. And he says, this is the new covenant. It's now an internal work. It's no longer external. Remember, Scripture says that God doesn't see like man sees. Man sees the outward, but God looks at the heart. He says, I'm coming to do something on the inside. It's internal. It produces some kind of change and transformation in us. And he says, I'm going to write it on the tablets of your heart. Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10 is all Scripture that Jesus says, I will make a new covenant I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. They shall know me. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, the change from the old covenant to the new covenant is it's no longer obligation. It's a deep passion to please him. It's a falling in love with Jesus that compels me. It's no longer an external compelling force. It's an internal impelling force that moves me to action. It's a desire to not grieve the heart of my father. Last week's sermon, Pastor Ryan preached on persecution. I'm telling you, church, we will not be able to stand for a theory, a doctrine, or a person we do not know. I'm telling you, it's impossible. God is calling us into a knowing love relationship to empower us to be able to stand. It cannot be a theory. It cannot be us still walking in the old covenant of works. God is calling us into this covenant relationship so that we may know him. That's the promise, that you may know me. For about 10 months now, I asked if I could be vulnerable. You guys are fine with this. For about 10 months now, I've been in the driest, most difficult season of my life. Felt like God and his presence was shut off from me. I reflected on words that had been spoken over me and I said, God, when will the fulfillment of this come? And I was driven into a wilderness experience, if I could say. The hardest season of my life. And you know, God ministers to us in those places in different ways. But what was highlighted to me is nothing satisfies me more than his presence. Nothing. There was nothing that could have been done for me. No words of people, no comfort of my family in that time. I just needed the presence of God. It's all I longed for. And in that wilderness season, it's where God stirs such a hunger in us for him. That nothing of this world can satisfy. Nothing. I remember saying, God, I just want your presence more than anything. I need you more than anything that this world has to offer. I'm hungry for you, Lord. I'm desperate for you, God. And as I went through that, I reflected on Jesus, went through the wilderness. Church, nothing we go through, Christ hasn't endured. Nothing. Not a season in your life that you face, Christ hasn't experienced that. He feels the pain. He sympathizes with us. And I said, Lord, I, I just want you. I want to know you more. I want a revelation of Jesus. That's been the cry of my heart. God, I want a deeper understanding. You know where God started dealing with me? In my heart. He said, give me your heart. Ah, church, it sounds so easy. But in practical, it's tough. Every day I've gone before the Lord, I've said, Lord, here's my heart. Lord, here's my heart. I give you my heart, God. Change my heart, God, creating me a clean heart. Soften my heart, Lord. Let my heart be pure before you so that I may see you. 
when I started doing that, it felt like a refining fire came. You know what the fire does? It reveals what's been concealed for so long. It brings to the surface stuff that we've suppressed for so long. And in those moments, I had the choice to say, I'm going to suppress it. God, it's too painful. I don't want to deal with it. I'm justified by this. Or I could say, Lord, take your ladle and scoop me clean. Purify my heart, Lord. Make it clean before you. In Psalm 51, David recognizes the condition of his heart and he says, Purge me with hyssop, then I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Isn't that the gospel? Though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them whiter than snow. David cries out and he says, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Church, we cannot give ourselves a clean heart. It's not our work. God is creator. In a moment, he starts to do things. He starts to highlight. He starts to reveal. All he asks of us is surrender. He says, give it to me. Give it to me. Give that pain to me. Give that fear. Give that disappointment. And watch him do a work. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone. Remember those tablets? I will take the heart of stone and I will give to you a heart of flesh. Listen what he says. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. You shall be my people and I will be your God. What a promise. It's not by our own ability. He says, I will put my spirit in you. I will empower you by my spirit. All I'm asking is a yielded heart. David continues and he says, the sacrifice God is looking for is not burnt offerings. It's not external. It's not works. He says, but a broken and a contrite spirit. That brokenness is like the Beatitudes, poor in spirits, a recognition of a need for a savior. Contrite is a repentant heart. God, I, I bring it before you. How did I come this far? God, how far have I strayed? God starts to highlight things. Why am I responding like that, God? Why did I feel that way? Why did I say that? He starts to highlight these things and he says, give it to me so that I can create a clean heart in you. The new covenant is a new heart. A new covenant, Jesus came and he says, I'm coming to give you a new covenant. In other words, he says, I'm coming to give you a new heart. When God gives us a new heart, he pours out his love in it. Romans 5, he pours out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks back in a time of prayer, I saw an image of God holding clay, like dough, clay, and molding, and molding. I said, God, what is this? He says, it's hearts. I want hearts. I want to be able to mold hearts. Because when our hearts are soft and pliable, then we are accessible to all the impressions of the Spirit.
but the heart has to be soft. It has to be pliable. It needs to be in the hand of God where he can work it and work it and mold it and shape it. Now I wanna say this morning, church, you know your heart is hard when you lack desire for the Lord. When his name no longer moves you, when the gospel has become stale, and when you desire for things more than you desire him, it's time to check our hearts. God wants our hearts because all the issues of life flow from there. The desire, the motive, the intention, the generosity, the lust, the pride, the dreams, it's all in the heart. Our ability to know and perceive the Lord is dependent on our hearts being surrendered to Him. You say, God, I want to know you more. Give Him your heart. Give Him your heart. The old covenant was walked out by sacrifices. But the new covenant is walked out by our hearts being laid before the King daily. Every day. The first commandment was to love the Lord with all your heart. John 14, 21 says, He who keeps my commandments loves me, and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. I will show myself to him. I will come and live among him. In other words, the more you love the Lord, the more affection that you give to him, the more you will know him. Jesus' desire in loving us was to be loved back. His desire in loving us was to be loved back. Story in John 12. It's a story of the anointing in Bethany, Mary of Bethany. It says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the, the fragrance of the oil. In Matthew, the account in Matthew, it says that wherever the gospel is preached, her name will be mentioned. Got me wondering this week, church, why would God have said that? Wherever the gospel is preached, this is the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected for you and me. But wherever that is preached, her name will be mentioned. The only thing I could come up with that I believe is because her response to Christ is what he's looking for in us. In other words, when she faced Jesus, her response was to bow down low. It was surrender. It was worship. It was adoration. Could it be that when we see Jesus, 
when we look at the cross, when we hear the gospel, our only reasonable response should be like Mary's, where I bow down low. Lord, I give you my adoration, my affection, my attention. She wipes his feet with her hair. The scripture says hair is a crown. It's a glory of a woman. In other words, she's laying the crowns down before him. She's giving him everything. Everything. What is our response when we look at the cross? What is our response to Jesus and the price that he paid? But she gives her all, and it's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of worship, of affection, of adoration. Jesus says, she chose the good part. If we do not choose the good part, then we have failed at the gospel because he did not get what he wanted from us. He doesn't want us to try harder, to strive more, not even to sin less. That was not even his intention. His intention was a love relationship. And the truth is, is that when we're in this love relationship, all these other things flow anyway. Because I don't want to sin any longer. Nothing of the world matters to me anymore. All I want is Jesus. All I want is Him. That's all I desire. I don't need to strive any longer to get there. It's a place of surrender. But if we don't love Him back, we failed at the gospel. Lord, stir our hearts, I pray. What have we given our affection to? Do you have our affection with no competition, Lord? What is it that you desire? Who or what are you giving your affection to this morning? Did it bleed for you? Did it resurrect for you? He wants our heart, church. He wants our all. It's the only reasonable response we can give him. Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane. The scripture says that he cried out and said, God, if it be your will, let this cup pass me. If there is another way, please, God, let it pass me by. But not my will. Yours be done. You see, when Christ looked into that cup, he saw the wrath of God. The wrath that we deserved. God is a righteous God. Many people ask, how can a loving God send people to hell? You were going there anyway. He made a way out. How can a holy God allow sin into his presence? but by the blood. And Jesus looks into the cup of wrath and he says, God, if there is any other way. Revelations 14 says that those that reject the lamb, that do not believe what he did, will drink of a cup of wrath. They will drink of the cup of God's wrath 
and be tormented forever. That's a frightening scripture. I want to say today, the most important decision you can make is to believe that he drank for you. It's either he drank it or I will. Those are our only two options. But Christ looks into that cup and he says, God, if there's any other way, but not my will. Church, you know that he agonized. And we read scripture just as if it was like, oh, he, he agonized, he sweat blood. Then he said, not my will, your will be done. And it was just in motion. It didn't go that way, trust me. We don't know how long he spent there. But he was crying out to God for you. He agonized because he was trying to get his will to conform to his father's will. There was a war, a clash, a wrestling match going on between his head and his heart. Because in his heart he knew what the father wanted, but his head was saying, please, is there not another way? Is there not another way? And he takes time agonizing over the fact that he has to go through with this. And he says, God, not my will. Yours be done. Church, just this week, I went through something where God showed me where it was, I could say, three days of agonizing over saying, am I willing to lay this down to say your will be done? We all reach a Gethsemane at some point in our life. All of us. All of us. We'll get to a Gethsemane where we have to agonize over. You see, we can sing, seek first the kingdom. <laughs> let your kingdom come, let your will be done. We can say in our prayers, Lord, let your will be done. But when you're faced with the reality, of, are you willing to lay this thing down? And I agonize over my will. But he says, I give you my spirit to empower you, to enable you to desire, to want, to do my will. You see, when we get to our garden of Gethsemane, we have to continuously reflect on the life of Jesus. Like I said earlier, everything we go through, he's experienced. From birth, people were contending against him. There was opposition. There was false accusations. There was betrayal. There was rejection. There was hurt. There was loneliness. There was a surrender of will that he needed to go through everything we experienced. The word says that when he was reviled against, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. His life is our example. As Christians, as Christ followers, his life is what I follow. And so when we go through these things in our life, we look to the cross. We look to the one who set the example that says, I understand, but I've made a way out. Victory is ours. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because he paid the price. He's done it all. In church this morning, as kingdom representatives, we need a heart that knows him. How will we represent him if we do not know him? What do you reflect? Yourself. 
your will, your desires. We need to be surrendered where we conform our will to His. I believe the best response to Calvary is to receive what He's done and in return give my heart. My heart is my will, it's my emotions, it's everything I have, God, I give it to you. I give it to you this morning. I hold nothing back. I hold nothing back. Lord, I don't want my affection to be shared with the world, with anything else. I want to give it all to you. I want you more than anything else. That needs to be the cry of our heart this morning. That is the only reasonable response we can offer for what he did. No works, no amount of effort can match up to that surrender. Like Mary of Bethany laid down low at his feet. Lay down low at his feet. Whatever we go through, he's made provision for us. Can I say that again? Whatever you're going through, he's made provision. He, he doesn't leave us alone and say, figure it out. He says, I've made provision. The price has been paid. Church, I want to say this morning, Christ's ministry was to bring hope. I don't know who of you this morning feel hopeless, but he's come to give hope. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe your heart is so hurt. He understands. He knows the pain. He's come to set the captives free. I don't know who's bound this morning by sin, by fear, by depression. Jesus has come to set us free. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Today. Church, today is the day of salvation. I want to ask this morning that we would surrender our hearts. And you know what? Maybe it's not an instant thing. For me, it hasn't been. It's a daily, daily saying, Lord, here's my heart. Every day. If you think it's a once-off, you're going to fail. It's daily saying, Lord, here's my heart. Here's the best I can give you. It's my heart. Would you do a work in it? The beautiful promise is that when we give him our hearts and we walk in this new covenant, he says, you will know me. Who of you this morning have a desire to know God more? I hope every one of us. A desire to say, God, I want to know you more. 
want you to reveal to me in a different way. Lord, I want to understand your ways more. I want to experience you more, Lord. I want your life to flow through me, Lord. He says, give me your heart. That's the first place to start and see what I'll do through you. Church, it's a, it's a life of surrender. Really, it's laying it all down. Thank God I give you everything. I hold nothing back. I hold nothing back. So I think everyone got communion when they came in this morning. I believe God wants to touch people here this morning. Have you come for a miracle? Church, have you come for a touch from God this morning? You've come expectant this morning for something. God wants to release his power into our lives this morning as we yield our life to him, as we surrender. We say, Lord, here's my heart. Remember, Ezekiel says, he will give you a new heart and he'll put his spirit in you. He wants to give you a greater measure of his spirit this morning. He wants to, us to leave here changed this morning. Changed. Who of you want to leave changed this morning? I pray we don't get into a, a lifestyle of religion where we just come to do church. We just come to, you know, to do that kind of thing, the works. I pray, even as I'm speaking now, God's challenging you to say, there's, I got to a point, church, where I said, God, there's got to be more. There has to be more. God, there has to be more to this walk. There has to be more to Jesus. That's a desperate cry. This morning, I pray, even as I speak, that gets ignited in you this morning, where you too start saying, Lord, there's got to be more. Hungry. I want more, Lord. I want more of you. I want more of your spirit. I want more of your power at work through me. He says, those that hunger and thirst, I'll fill them. I pray this morning your hunger and your thirst is stirred like never before. You're hungry, Atelier, for more of God. The thing is, it's a hunger that nothing else can satisfy. Nothing else. So when he starts to stir that hunger, don't try and find it elsewhere. Run to him. He's the only one that can satisfy us completely. Completely. But so often our affection is divided. We want him, but we run to everything else. Today I pray that your eyes and your affection is set so strong on Jesus. So strong on him. He becomes your desire. He becomes your pursuit. He becomes the lover of your life. He becomes your all in all. I pray that this morning. Jesus becomes so real to us. So real. Such a deep relationship with Jesus that gets ignited in us. Otherwise, we're just running after the benefits the privileges, the blessings, the gifts. But we miss him all along. Let's want him more than anything else. It's the only time we'll be truly satisfied, the only time we'll feel filled up. And then when we feel full, we cry out some more, God, make me more hungry. God, make me more hungry. 
that we don't become content and complacent and satisfied just with status quo. We would be a people that run with so much passion after Jesus. You want that this morning, church? Maybe just as we're going to take communion this morning. Lord, what do you want to do? I want to ask if, if there's those of you this morning that's really just saying, oh, that's my heart as you're speaking this morning. I just, want, I just want Jesus. I just want more of Jesus. I'm ready to lay my life down. I'm ready to put my heart at the altar this morning. But I want him. If that's you this morning, then come to the altar. Lay your heart down before him this morning. Say, Lord, I give you my all. Not in my own strength, not in my own might, but by the power of your spirit. I give you my all this morning. I come to the foot of the cross with my reasonable response and say, here's my heart.